Would you open God's precious holy word to the Revelation chapter 17 and we've come to verse 6. And I hope to finish the chapter then tonight. We're studying and we, we had our introduction on this on uh, Sunday night. We're studying the, the, uh, the woman on the beast riding the beast. And we know that it is false religion. I'll, I'll summarize how this is when we read a couple of, uh, of verses here. So we're in verse 6. And I saw the woman being drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. The focus here would be on the tribulation saints. Uh, because... The woman that is being depicted here is the false religious system uh, that develops at the first part of the tribulation. So we're talking about uh, tribulation saints, therefore false religion came against the saints of God to the point of bringing about their death. And really, if you study even so-called Christian history, it's not that unusual to see that happen when people, when people have a uh, focused belief on the truth of Scripture and they just stay with the Scripture and they don't adopt policies and they don't adopt traditions and they don't adopt man-made uh, covenants or whatever. Just stick with the scripture. You will find that there are very large periods of the history of the church where people in the so-called church, powerful positions of leadership, even brought uh, those people uh, to death. And that's a good study to make that study when you, when you begin to see the difference between the Christianity that developed out from Antioch and the Christianity that developed out from Alexandria and on from there. That's not the purpose of this message, so I'll just keep going. And I marveled with great wonder, having seen her. The angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast carrying her, having the seven heads and ten horns. The seven heads are the empires or world powers that have mistreated the people of God since the earliest of biblical history. They would include, they would include uh, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, uh, Rome, and the end time Gentile kingdom, empire. Some call it revived Rome. So those are the seven heads 
The ten horns are the ten kingdoms, ten national powers in the tribulation that uh, through which the power of the Antichrist is birthed for the tribulation. So the beast is, is the one who, who is the culmination of the spirit of Antichrist since the earliest of earth's empires, which have always and necessarily uh, subjugated and mistreated the people of God. The last one is seen as having ten horns. The woman is the false religious system that develops at the beginning of the tribulation. More about that in just a second. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. Let's stop there. Looking back on what we've studied, considering the summary of the two worldly entities that are the source of, of power, if you will, of the Antichrist in the tribulation, here is what we see. Now, this is a, a, uh, an overview since we first saw the four horsemen and, and the seals broken and so forth. There is in the world, at the beginning of the tribulation, a, uh, a need for a leader to come forward with a plan, a peace plan that would satisfy the world. Thus, the first horseman on a white horse with a bow and no arrows. So he is a false Christ coming to present himself to the world. And he, he comes upon the world with a peace plan that brings the world together initially. Now, here is how I see this. Those of you who are going with us to Townsend. Uh, this, this weekend will study what I call the war of Ezekiel. The prophecies of Ezekiel, the prophecy, certain, certain prophecies from Daniel and what we see that develops in the revelation as well as what, as well as a couple of things that Christ said on the Olivet Discourse, on the Mount of Olives in the Olivet Discourse, brings me to this conclusion, and I'm not alone in this. Quite a few people who study these kinds of things feel the same way. One of the things that's left in Bible prophecy with regard to Israel 
And of course, we, we look to Israel when we think of Bible prophecy uh, because the 70th seven-year period has yet to be fulfilled and it, it specifically focuses on Israel and that is the 70th seven-year period that has been determined upon Israel. The first 69 have passed. In Ezekiel, there is a, a war where a confederation of powers and that confederation practically exists today will swarm the little nation of Israel. And what happens is there is a divine intervention. If not for the divine intervention, Israel would have been destroyed completely. But God divinely intervenes and the invading forces are completely obliterated by what is apparently to the world, uh, what is apparent to the world, an act of God. Because you get that from reading Ezekiel 38 and 39. And God says to the, God says through the event to the world, he says that the nations may know that I'm God. So at that late moment in the times of the Gentiles, there is this, uh, there is this awakening of the world because people will ask, and, and it's even seen, it's written in, in those two chapters, and people will ask, is this what the prophet wrote about? Is this what the prophet wrote? In other words, this divine deliverance of Israel from these powers. Now you go back to Daniel and what introduces the Antichrist is his ability to forge a seven-year peace treaty in the Middle East. It's obvious after, after the destruction of the, of the invading forces and these are like world powers and, and the world is talking about these places even today. With such a, uh, with such a significant uh, blow to the nations of the world, what emerges from that is, is a brief admiration of the nation of Israel. Many of those nations in that confederation are Arab nations. They will be crushed. And I would submit to you that at that point, the significance and the political influence and so forth of the Arabs will, will be completely diminished. So Israel emerges in the eyes of the world apparently, and at last, with what has just happened, someone comes in with the perfect thing, and if you put it all together, what is included in that peace treaty is, is that Israel is allowed to rebuild the temple on the Temple Mount. So apparently the 
Dome of the Rock doesn't mean anything anymore after that Ezekiel War. Now, he comes on a white horse, back to the Revelation, first seal that's broken. And the world is so happy. Here is a guy and our troubles are over. So they, they give him many accolades and he begins to grow in the ranks of 10 particular nations, which are probably the most powerful nations that are left at that point in time. As he, as he emerges, he begins to consolidate power in the Gentile world in the first part of the tribulation and becomes a world leader. So that brings us then, how does he do this? How is he able to bring all of these cultures together? He does it through religion. Now, the people who stomp, snort, and squawk about world religions are Christians. Because our Lord has told us He is the only way by which we can be saved. There is no other name under heaven, no other name given among men. I am the way, the truth, and life. So true Christians with, with a fervor for evangelism and missions and with love in our hearts for all the people of the world, we want to see everybody saved and go to heaven. But I've noticed in recent years more and more that message of the Christians, of the true Christian church is becoming seen and labeled as hate speech. You hate everybody. We don't hate. We love them. Why would I invite somebody that I hate to go to heaven with me and maybe live next door to me? So, through the years, religions have hated that, but it doesn't matter in the tribulation. The true church is gone, but there's a separation of the elect of God and the tribulation saints. There's still a work of God and those people are hated by the world religion. And it's this world religion that the false prophet uses to help the Antichrist bring the nations of the world together, the earth dwellers, if you will. Everybody's got to have a good feeling religiously. And they all begin to feel good religiously with the false prophet and his, uh, his false religion. And they're, they're, this, is, this is in the works today, you know, the Pope is bringing together, what is it, in September or something? Is bringing together the so-called religious leaders of the world. I wasn't invited. The president of the Southern Baptist Convention wasn't invited. But he brings, he's trying to bring uh, the, whatever you call them in Islam, the mullahs or the whatever. And the Buddhist guy and all these other people. Bring them together. And he has said, you can, you can look it up. It is for the express purpose of bringing everybody together religiously. So this is already a thing. I mean, I, you know. So he uses, he's riding this, he, she, he's carrying this, this prostitute, this spiritual prostitute on his back. And he utilizes her in the sense that she is able, false religion is able to bring people together in a way that apparently nothing else would bring them together. And they all admire the Antichrist 
and increasingly accept him as the leader. Okay, now, the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go into destruction. So we're here looking at an overview of the tribulation, both, both the early part and the great tribulation, the last part of the tribulation. The beast ascends to power in the first three and a half years politically and militarily. He consolidates his power militarily in the next three seals that are broken because of the, because of the outbreak of riots. And we, we studied the different Greek words about sword, you know. One was a common man sword. The other was a military sword. And he finally puts down the unrest in the world. But then there's famine and death and all this stuff. And as, as the wrath of God continues to fall, even in the early part of the tribulation. So he was, he had certain, he had, he had power and ascended to the pinnacle of power. But he wasn't all that he's going to be in the last part of the tribulation because we studied what was in Revelation 13, apparently suffered what appeared to be a fatal wound and then it appeared that he was resurrected and the world marveled at all of this. So he was, he is not, and is about to come up out of the abyss and go into destruction. Now what I see that is as being in what appears to be his death, he is demonically energized and more or less becomes like Satan incarnate. That can't really be that way, but Satan gives him all of this energy and power and he is totally demonic. He doesn't realize it, but when he comes up and this is in the middle of the tribulation because here's what happens and we've seen this already. He becomes the abomination of desolation and we're going to see here that he puts away all religion except for worship of himself. And he puts himself up in the temple to be God. All right. And that's in the middle of the tribulation. He come, comes up out of the abyss. Now when he, what the world sees as a miraculous resurrection is, is, a, is an energizing, and that's probably a, not a strong enough word, but an energizing from hell and he doesn't realize it, but he's headed to destruction because this is the purpose of God. But when he comes up, he thinks he, he does away with religion. We'll see that here. And he becomes God. He doesn't need religion anymore at that point in time. So he's going into, and those dwelling on the earth whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, seeing the beast, which was and is not, and yet will be. Now, let me go back up. The earth dwellers, they're irreparably lost, they're reprobate. Now look what the Bible says. Whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Now the word up here, gegrapte, um, uh, and the, the, it's preceded by the negative, ooh. Not, are not written. That is in the perfect tense. 
The perfect tense of Greek means this. It references an action that was completed in the past and will always have its results. It never changes. Well, to underscore, it says they weren't written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Are not written in the perfect tense means they never were, never will be, never have been. They're just reprobate. Now they see the beast, which was and is not, and yet will be. Here is the mind having wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains where the woman sits on them. I know people think that it's the seven hills of Rome. It's okay if you want to think that. Rome, Rome had a coin that had the seven hills. That was, their, that was their motto. But in the Bible also, mountains are seen as empires. The woman sits on the seven mountains. There are seven kings. We just talked about them. The five are fallen. At the time of John, Egypt had fallen. Assyria had fallen. Babylon had fallen. Medo-Persia had fallen. Greece had fallen. And one is. That was the Rome in which he lived. The other has not yet come. That is the empire, the kingdom of the Antichrist. So in John's day, it had not come yet. He was living in Rome, but the other one had not come. And when he shall have come, the Antichrist, it behooves him to remain a little while. It necessitates him. This is the purpose and power of the will of God. He won't stay one, one day longer and won't leave one day before the purpose of God has been completed in him and through him on planet earth. That's what it means. A little while, okay? And the beast which was and is not also himself is an eighth and is of the seven and goes into destruction. We know who the seven are. Right? I don't, I, don't, I don't have to go through that. I don't want to. <laughs> but I can. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, uh, uh, Medo Greece, Rome, Antichrist's empire that grows in the first part of the tribulation. But what emerges in the last part of the tribulation under the Antichrist is a different thing. It is an except, except for the hand of God, it would have been otherwise all powerful. So he's of the seven, he's the eighth. He was in the early part of the tribulation, but then he reemerges after his so called resurrection, demon energized, satanic. And things are different then than they were in the first three and a half years. 
Now he emerges as the abomination of desolation. He's the eighth. He was number seven and he's number eight. He was, he was Henry the seventh and Henry the eighth. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings. These are the nations of the tribulation that are most powerful that give their power to the Antichrist. And then he takes it from there. Who have not yet received a kingdom. In the time John wrote this, those nations didn't even exist. But they receive authority as kings one hour. In other words, God puts a limit on it. Along with the beast. These, those 10, these have one mind. And their power and authority they shall give up to the beast. To begin with, we learn in the scriptures that a certain part of them surrender their power and then the rest of them surrender their power. And they all become of one mind and give their authority to the beast. Now, it is that last half of the tribulation Gentile power that's different because, and we'll see this in just a second, the Antichrist gets to the point after his so-called resurrection, he doesn't need religion anymore. He is religion. He is the embodiment of God. And he sets himself up as God. So it is that group under the leadership of their great hero that finally goes and joins him at Armageddon. And at the last moment, they all make war with the lamb. They're, they're, having, they're, they're fighting the kings of the east and they're fighting each other. But they all come together to fight the lamb. And the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called chosen and faithful. Well, that's you and me, those of us who are in Christ. We're called chosen and Faithful, those who are coming back with him, and there he fights the war. And he says to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute sits, and we saw that last time, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So they're from everywhere, all over the world. And the ten horns that you saw and the beast, these will hate the prostitute. And will make her desolate and naked and they will eat her flesh and they will burn her with fire. So when he sets himself up as the abomination of desolation, he sets himself up as God in the temple. And there, according to Daniel, he breaks his treaty. He breaks it in the middle of the seven years. That's when he no longer has any need for religion and he kills the religious leaders Burns, burns down their structures, does away with everything that is religious so that all of the worship will be directed to him. He don't need her anymore. He doesn't need her anymore. So they all join him. The false prophet joins him in this and they don't need this world religion anymore. They don't need this, this, this prostitute anymore, this spiritual prostitute. They don't need it anymore. That's in the middle of the three and a half years. For God has put into their hearts to do his purpose and to do one purpose. So they are all united, these earth dwellers, they're all united 
for the purpose of worshiping the beast and even joining him to destroy this world religion and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. Now we'll see that, the completion of that, God willing, in, uh, in the next chapter. And the woman whom you saw is the great city having kingship over the kings of the earth. It's mystery Babylon. Some think that Babylon will be reborn as a city. Others think, and I'm among those, that it's just a spiritual connotation. Uh, but there will be a place where all of this will be headquartered. And, of course, it will, it will come to an end. But for her time, she, she even has authority over the kings of the earth and it suits the purpose of Satan in the Antichrist until he's ready to move to his final purpose which is to give to the world his version of Christ his version of the resurrected Christ who is totally demonic completely darkened by the will of, of the dragon and completely directed by the will of the dragon until the time, until her time comes to an end. Now, the next chapter will show us what happens to the economic, political, slash political world. So this is the, this is God presenting how with that seventh trumpet, that seventh bowl of wrath, and it brings an end to everything, this is how it happens. He destroys the religion of the world, then he destroys the economy and the political system of the world, and finally destroys the military of the world in the Revelation 19, and captures the Antichrist and the false prophet alive. And they are the first two cast into the lake of fire. So they're taken prisoner from Armageddon, all of their soldiers died. But they're taken alive and they're cast alive into the lake of fire. And so they're there alone in the lake of fire. When Satan is chained for a little season, he is not chained in the lake of fire. He's, he's chained, obviously, in Tartarus of the Abyssos of Hades. And he's there for a thousand years until the thousand years are completed. So they'll be alone and they'll be burning in the lake of fire for a thousand years before anybody else joins them from the great white throne that is set up at the close of the thousand years. Okay, I hope you're not real confused over all that. If you are, <laughs> buy a cassette tape and go over it all over again, right? <laughs> is there such a thing as a cassette tape anywhere? I don't know. We'll stop it there tonight and uh, we're going to have our deacon prayer time.